Hello again, and welcome to Killing the Great White Male. Today we've got more of our conversation with Vincent Gaddis and uh, about Robert Jones's book, White Too Long. We left off last time with, uh, with the midst of the discussion of obligation and looking at January 6th's uh, uh, insurrection as, I mean, bluntly, tantrums. I, I think I said something about two-year-olds. Um, but that's what it, it reminded me of. Uh, we didn't get our way, so uh, we're going to, yeah, we're going to riot. We're going to hurt people. Um, so welcome back. Let's dive right in. Well, and there's... Right. I mean, that's obligation. Yes. That's obligation. And, and, and it's also like it's telling that within... When people all around the world read the Jesus story, read this Bible, um, the overwhelming conclusion when, when you talk to people of different languages, different cultures, when, when you read the Jesus story, there is an obligation to others in it. And, and yes, this is all cultural because our language is cultural and all those things, mm -hmm. but it only more starkly points out the degree to which we have deformed the human animal in this country to the point that we are disconnected from things that are basic human needs um, in, in an effort to try to prop up this straw man of individualism. And yes. It, I mean, it's so, so telling. Um, I just, I can't imagine a, a Jesus who w would say, well, you know, you should only be concerned about you getting into heaven. Um, mm -hmm. like I, I just can't do that. The dude was Jewish. That was not even on his <laughs> fucking mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Well, and, and what, you know, the, that is uh, that is an interesting comment because the the other side of that is I can't imagine I can't imagine Jesus saying, "Well, you know, you're white, and therefore you are superior." Yes. To someone who's black, and therefore you should organize your denomination. To protect your whiteness. That, that now, right, now, if you yeah. really think about it, mm -hmm. could you really see Jesus? I mean, here's the conversation of the woman at the well uh, right? in a white, in, yep. in the white, white, white evangelical phraseology. Well, woman, I'm the I, I'm uh -huh. I'm I'm living waters, but you can't have any. So just take your sorry black self back to wherever you came from. Mm -hmm. This is my living water. You can't have any. It, yep. If it was up to white evangelical Christians, the guy who got robbed on the Jericho Road would have mm -hmm. died right there because he brought it on himself. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I mean, you're referencing the story of the Samaritan there for those who want the catchword. But that's that's exactly it. This is the it. it is it is anti-Christian, and yet it has somehow. And this is why it's not just sleeping and it's not just dreaming. It is a delusion, because it it requires blinding oneself to what's in front of you. It, yes. 
the obligation within white churches, if you sit down in a pew on Sunday morning and you look around and you can count the number of people of color in your congregation, you are in a white church. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't be able to count them. Um, yep. Number one. Number two, this book does such a... This, the story of the churches in Macon, Georgia, uh, that, to me, I'm not sure if it gives me hope or if it just is a testament to the power of, of people wi- willing to do the right thing even when it hurts. But mm. So the, the author is from Macon, Georgia, if I remember correctly, and one of the churches that, that he goes back to look at is, was it one of the churches that he grew up in? I can't remember, or just one that he knew I- about. I think it was one that he knew about on that on that row of street of yeah. churches there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's two First Baptist churches in Macon, Georgia. One is the church that was founded for the slaves, and one is the church mm-hmm. that was founded for the owners and for the rest of the white folks. Um, and these two two churches have have before uh, before like five years ago had what I would call very typical relations um, between a black and white church in the same town who share similar names. Um, and I, I can say this having known multiple churches <laughs> with Lutheran backgrounds, with congregational backgrounds. Like, I've, I've worked in these places. Um, and it's it, it was so interesting to read them as their, you know, their normal— what I would call their their normal interactions of, yeah, we might do a potluck or a picnic together in the summer or something like that. And that was as far as the relationship went. That's the, the what we, when we talk about why it, it's either racist or anti, anti-racist, what I grew up believing was that that kind of stuff was mending the fence that we needed to mend, that that fulfilled our obligation. And mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't, number one, it's in that gray area that, that you mentioned, Vincent, that like that's that's a gray area. Um, but in reality, it is obviously not anti-racist, and therefore it is racist, because all it does is serve to prop up our stereotypes of each other. And looking at the hard work that this, these two congregations are doing in sending, sending uh, delegates with each other, and they had to go on a bus from Georgia to—was it Mississippi? Is that where the, the museum that they went to was? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they rode on a bus together, which— None of the experiences that he talks about in this book are on the bus, but I know that some shit went down on the bus. <laughs> oh, no doubt. Because I've been on bus trips with enough different groups to know the good stuff always happens on the bus. But this one moment, and I'm actually going to read from the book a little bit here on page 209. Um, the two churches have, have engaged very deeply in this, and they went to a civil rights museum together. And yeah, in Jackson. In Jackson. There it is. Yeah, Jackson, mm-hmm. Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. Mm-hmm. And uh, at a reflection, so, okay, at a reflect, here's right from the book. At a reflective service after the trip, Kathy summed up this simple but powerful moment. We sat and shed tears together, neither of us completely knowing or understanding the source of those tears, but we were there for each other. The racial complexity of this moment, however, was thick for Tim. He later confessed to Kathy that he couldn't help but think about all what the evidence all around them demonstrated, that the simple physical proximity of a white woman and a black man was precisely the catalyst for the torture and murder of many a black man 
remembered on the columns suspended above them. He's referring to a moment in the in the museum where they have columns dedicated to each state where they have a verification process for lynching. Mm-hmm. And they put the names of the victims of lynching on these columns for each state. And these two people were overcome by just witnessing this and sitting down to just deal with it. And that's that's this little moment, just sitting next to each other. And Tim's reflection that, shit, I, my name could have ended up there on one of these posts, on one of these columns, simply by sitting down next to Kathy. And, and that this moment occurred without justification, without defense, which, I mean, I, I'm white. I know the, the desire to defend my goodness. Um, and I know the shit that that has wrought. But that's like with, without those things and, and him being open about that and honest about it, about his, his, the impact that it had on him. Um, this is what we're missing by being fucking white. That this is what we are missing is these true human connections, these moments when we see ourselves in each other. That is what it means to be human, is to see ourselves in someone else. And that's what's missing. That's, that's what racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, that's what all of this shit, the myth of the rugged individual has done in this country. Right. It has Absolutely. Bro- broken the most basic of human connections. So, so let me ask you a question. Yeah, go. Um, certainly, Jones is... Uh, he's a realist, obviously. <laughs> okay, uh, but he also ends with with being optimistic that yep. that if we can tell enough, if we can, if we can recognize that there has to be that that there is a way forward. Yeah, and. Uh, so my question to you is, how do you see that way forward? It depends on the day. Uh, and it depends on the part of me that's in the driver's seat. Because sometimes um, I don't know how, we do, how we're going to do this work without another civil war. And, and mm. it, it's awful to say that. I grew up as a pacifist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also... Uh, I, but I also know that, that, that war will not actually deal with this. I'm, I'm thinking of Audre Lorde's uh, essay, You Can't Dismantle the Master's House with the Master's Tools. And mm-hmm. war, as this country has known it, is an individualistic notion. It treats our nation as individual instead of our our citizens as individual, but it's still an individualist notion because it denies the fact that we are fully interdependent and even dependent upon every other nation on the planet and their existence. So war is is the ultimate master's tool. Um, And and it's not... 
And here uh, we would go to what I would call a second leg on the stool of white supremacy and the second leg, therefore, on the stool of American lies. And that's the notion of power over. When we, when we quote-unquote win a war, we have overpowered somebody else. We have dominated them. All of this language that, again, is anti-human. Humans were never meant to do that. That's why we, mm-hmm. when you put us in isolation in prison, we, we die because we were never meant to have power over other people. We were meant to have power with other people. It's fundamentally opposed to, to our humanity to, ex, to have to exercise power, and especially as the U.S. constructs it, because if I don't have power over my children or power over my quote-unquote wife, then I am not a man. Mm. Right? Like, there's the ultimate example of it. How many of us were taught that shit? So so part of me does not always feel very hopeful because I know that if it goes to civil war, even if we win, we lose. Right? If like, it goes to civil war, we don't win. There's, there's no win. Um, I think the outcome of I, – personally? Yeah. And I, I, the outcome of civil war is apartheid. Yeah. Yep. There you go. I, I there agree. is no winning for minorities and black people in a civil war. And and even if uh even if the Nazis lost again as they always do in um even if the Nazis lost we would still end up with apartheid because we would end up cut off from those people who were who have been brainwashed into thinking that they were right about this stuff. And yes. and we are poorer for it. Mhm. So Mm-hmm. So that scenario to me is completely untenable, even though I, part of me considers it the most likely. Um, another part of me, and it's it's the part of me that I'm choosing to exercise, is the part of me that that says I have to do this work, and I have to be transparent about it. It's what this podcast is about. It's why I wrote that book, um, and it's why I'm editing it with with two folks of color <laughs> to, to keep my white ass honest. <laughs> Um, it, it, it's because I think that there is another way forward. And I, I think Jones gets it too. It's going to be painful and is therefore not one that many of us are going to undertake at first. It's going to be incredibly difficult and it's going to be a long slog. Um, and I think that's the part that, that hurts so badly for me is I literally don't think I'm ever, I'm going to see, uh, the end of this or even enough milestones in my lifetime. Because it's going to be erosion. It's going to take erosion. That was kind of the conclusion I came to in the book, is that it's misbehaving. We have to misbehave around this stuff. And I'm, I'm not unique in that. I think I, I kind of, I'm riffing on an idea from Maria Lugones there in her article about impurity and purity. Um, that I, I really do think that it's about misbehaving. It's about disrupting these narratives. Because when we disrupt them... That's when we get a chance to engage them because that's the way the brain works. I mean, and here's the argument for the way I'm going forward and why I think Mm -hmm. it is possible, but it's going to take a hell of a lot of work, a lot of time and a lot of intentionality is because the subconscious wants us to be asleep about certain things. It it wants us to have habits as long as we have food, water, shelter and meaningful social interaction. And again, our subconscious can get dopamine hits off of being abused. So it constructs meaningful social interactions in some really weird ways. But that subconscious does not want us, it wants us running on automatic as long as our basic needs are met. So 
I mean, it's really problematic. What's your thought on this? Where, where do you go? Well, um, I'm, I'm kind of vibing on you right now, brother. <laughs> well, I, you know, um, well, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm thinking. Um, I, I, I agree. The, the way forward will be long and arduous, and it's going to take a lot of work. I'm... I am not as hopeful as I was a year ago. Oh, wow. Um, I am not as hopeful um, about this change. I, I had, um, well, let me, let me just say, let me say it this way and then, and then I'll, I'll circle back around. The, in my opinion, Part of the problem, and I recognize what I'm going to say is a biblical word, but all you Bible people, just be cool for a minute. <laughs> because the word that people say is, well, we have to have reconciliation. Yeah. Now, I have a problem with that because before we can get to reconciliation, and I'll get to the problem with that language in a minute, is we got to have recognition. Yes. And and there are and one of the things that that I think Jones shows masterfully in this book is that when there is recognition there can be change. Yes. But it requires but the we, recognition. But it requires the recognition. It requires the and admission that on requires the part of white people. Breaking, yes, and that requires breaking the delusion. Yeah. So we're in a rough place right off the bat. Indeed. Let me make it even worse. Yeah. Once you recognize what, uh, what, um, um, uh, oh, what's, I'm sorry, my brain's going crazy right now. Uh, the uh, Sojourners, um, he wrote God's, uh, Jim Wallace. Uh -huh. um, Jim Wallace, uh, who uh, wrote uh, God's Politics, and then he wrote a, a, another book where he called slavery America's original sin. Mm -hmm. And then he argued that there has to be some national level of repentance. Well, And I agree with that. But to get to that, you've got to have the recognition. Yes. And then you've got to have recompense. If you stole from me, you need to return what you stole. Yes. Now, how do we even begin to navigate that landmine? Well, it's it, people have already worked the, it out. Like, I, I was amazed. I was first exposed to this oh, like three months ago, four months ago. Um, somebody did the math on what 40 acres and a mule is worth today, and, and it comes at I can't remember, 15 or 16 billion is the total owed to descendants of slavery um, in this country. And done. Like, come on, we're all on Ancestry.com. We can fucking figure this shit out. We just got to right, actually well, decide that it's important to figure well, it out. Right. But you but you have to have you have to have ultimately the will yes. nationally yeah. to do that. And you can't yes. get to that. Right. We we gave reparations to the descendants of those who we interred 
Japanese in World War II. Why? Yep. We recognized it was wrong, and we compensated them for the wrong, and then we repented of the wrong, saying that, that we shouldn't do that, and we are never going to do that again. That's what reconciliation—those are the steps that, that lead whoa, 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 that whoa, whoa, make whoa, whoa. reconciliation that, that, possible. That, that is what gets us to the place yes. where we can then discuss reconciliation, but there's a problem. Reconciliation implies that there was a time in the past mm. when we were brothers, and now we are returning to that state of um, cooperation. Yeah. Well, that never happened. Yeah. We need to ditch the language of reconciliation, and we need a new language in my mind, mm -hmm. of a refined version of community. Yeah. Right? And, and then we can say, okay, we recognize the wrong, we recompense the wrong, we repented of the wrong nationally, and, and now we can talk about real community where I can see Royce as an individual, and I don't mean in terms of individualism, the the, the ideology, but, apart but as from an stereotypes. In, an, an individual human being, yeah. unique, unique, yeah. unrepeatable, and deserving of dignity and respect, who I align with to usher in the common good, the human yes. flourishing that God intended from the beginning. This part of my conversation with Vincent hit hard. I deeply appreciated his unpacking of the notion of reconciliation in no small part because I, th I think we don't understand what we're saying, especially as white people, that we don't understand what we're saying when we use that term. And he nailed it. To reconcile means that there was something there was a right or just relationship in the first place, and that has simply never fucking existed when it comes to white people and people of color in general, but specifically um, people of African descent in this country. And his notion that instead we must, once we have done the work of rooting out racism in our hearts, in our minds, in our habits, in our daily lives, that at after that, after we have done the hard work ourselves, that it is not about making up some story of brotherly love and reconciliation, but rather that we engage in the real and, and very hard work of community, of being together in the same time and space in a way that is authentic and just. As he said, which, I mean, as always, I don't necessarily agree with as an atheist, but he's absolutely accurate in what he said, because if, if the Bible is any sign, this was what God intended from the beginning. God never intended for divisions amongst humanity. We are all part of this human thing whether we phrase that as uh, uh, as pagan beliefs, whether we phrase it as Christian values or 
in my case, just simply being a kind of a humanist. Um, we are part of something bigger than ourselves, and it's always bigger than the divisions and walls that we put up. So, I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in today.